Ladies and gentlemen, that was Love, Devotion, and Surrender by Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh, a treatment of uh, John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. And I bring you that voice, I bring you that extraordinary sound, because what we're going to share in the next few weeks is the voices of poets from the East, from the place where the sun rises, because the voices of poets rising, my friends, it sustains us all. It lifts us all. And in addition to that good news of these many shining voices, I have the great good fortune to be joined today by Misha Danduda, a poet, a translator, a scholar, a man of culture, with a capital C. Misha, welcome. Good evening. Uh, actually, it is good evening here. Good afternoon uh, in Milwaukee. Thank you very much for the invitation, and thank you very much for the interest and generosity of uh, broadcasting uh, poetry, as you told it so beautifully, from the east, from the from the region when, where the sun rises. But I think sun arises everywhere where there's poetry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Misha and I were talking one day, and we were talking about the beauty and the power and the passion of poetry, and he suggested that it might be a wonderful thing if we could bring voices from Romania out to the world and give them one more platform to speak their heart's truth. And I said, Misha, you're a wise man. You are a wise man indeed. So what he has done for us is he has brought us some amazing voices. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chance embarrassing him because the first voices I want to bring you is I want to bring you some of Misha speaking his own poetry. So Misha, sit back and relax. And I'm going to play a couple of these, and then I want you to talk just a little bit about them, okay? Thank you very much. I think you understand my emotion. Thank you very much, Rick, for the attention you dedicate to the Romanian Eastern and global poetry. Well, my brother, I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> I will say that I am glad I'm here. And in just a moment, I'm going to bring you Misha reading some of his own amazing work. Okay, here we go. Cut one. Hi. Thank you very much for inviting me to your beautiful literary event. Uh, my name is Mircea Danduza. I am a Czech-writing Romanian poet and uh, a producer, organizer, and moderator of cultural events in the Czech Republic. Slovak Republic and Romania. I'm also a film scientist and a translator into and from Czech and Slovak language. I published until now two poetry books and an octorial, octorial anthology and also specialized uh, volumes in film and literary theory. Once again, thank you very much for inviting me to take part to this event. The first poem I'm going to read is called The No-Kissing Moon. The translation into English is signed by Judith Ontol. 
We kiss without taste. We kiss without love. We kiss without lust. We kiss without excitement. We kiss without tongues. We kiss without lips. We kiss without mouth. We kiss without eyes. We kiss without faces. We kiss without shapes. We kiss without forms. We kiss without images. We kiss without imagination. We kiss without visions. We kiss without pictures. We kiss without dreams. We kiss without reality. We kiss without dichtung. We kiss without Wahrheit. We kiss without kisses. We kiss without packs. We kiss without kissing. And so there's nowhere, no one, to ever take note of our kissing. There's nowhere, no one, to ever pay attention to our kissing. There's nowhere, no one, to ever see it, hear it, or feel it. Not even ourselves. And so, there's nowhere, no one, to ever write about our kissing. But that forgotten poet, which himself has never, nowhere, kissed anyone. And so, at least, he's thinking up us, a couple striving for a kiss, as himself, for poetry. The next poem is called The Day Before You Came, Soap Poetry, or Soap Poem, to One Girl with Golden Hair. You were so beautiful, barefoot, with that long black dress, without sleeves, with your long black straight hair, with your white, delicate and heavenly pale face, with your long svelte legs, with your dark red narrow lips, with your gentle hands and thin arms, with eyes burning with your passion and pain mine, and with the heavy, squeaking silence of a world, neither mine nor yours. You were so beautiful that I was even afraid to look at you, as if so much beauty could have blinded me, like in those old Norwegian fairy tales. But you knew exactly why did you come for, and so we finally got married, and took the train towards north, like in that old song. But the strangest thing is that I had never liked black-haired girls. But then, in our newlywed polar night, you deciphered for me even this last useless puzzle. I'm not Agnita, though. The next poem is called Night Five, Wahrheit, and uh, it was translated into English by Judith Ontol and Natalia Nera. Something that doesn't know me, yet sleeps in front of me in the train compartment. Something that doesn't notice me, yet spreads the legs while sleeping, showing me its panties, posing for my invisible eyes. Something that wouldn't have trusted me or believed in my existence, even if I really existed, yet now confides in me more thoroughly and intimately than to God. Most probably, in his eyes, it has never committed any sin either. 
something that has never touched me, yet hold with my own hand after the foreign god I have never been, while maintaining its unsolid purity, something that keeps sleeping, yet will never find out that for what it perpetrated, I am now serving my time in the emptied compartment. Once again, thank you very much. Mircea Danduță, Romania, Czech Republic. And then one more of Misha's pieces. There you are, you handsome oh, rascal, okay, okay. you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, it's, I really appreciate this. I, I think you, you will, uh, will like them. Would you be comfortable, sir, reciting a few of your poems today? Oh, what, what, a, what an honor. honor. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't expect to, but uh, of course I'm, uh, I, will be, I will be very happy to. I will uh, make it as snappy as possible. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, you know, nothing like a wordsmith, my brother. Nothing like a wordsmith. Mircea Dalduță, Romania, Czech Republic. That means born in Romania, writing in Czech. Thank you very much, Rick Spisa, for your generosity. The cannibals. I fed on you for as long as there was something left to eat. In fact, I somehow sensed you won't be there for long. Now they are eating out of me, and I have to be glad of it. For as long as there is food for them, it means I'm still here. But you can no longer be aware of this. Last will. You will take her from me. You will take it from me. You will take this from me. You will take everything from me. In the end, I won't have anything left but you. And I will still have to keep begging to remain a part of what will be yours. the way. I was coming out of Testos, and I saw her on the other side of the bridge. She was as beautiful as ever. I waved at her and called her name, Change Kasia, but she kept going. Maybe she didn't see me, didn't hear me, or didn't understand me, or maybe in the realm of death they just don't speak Polish. Beautiful, brother. Next stop. In the Paradise Garden, there is no smoking, no drinking, no drugs. Marys don't lose their virginity and don't give birth in stables. No names are taken in vain, especially if no one bears them. No apple stealing, no snake killing, no Polish speaking, and no metro passing through. And even if it did, it certainly wouldn't stop. So in any case, we should get off at the next station. And now, really, the last one, I swear, I promise. Oh, no, sir, listen. I would. I am honored to hear the work of a great poet like yourself in your own words. And to me, a poet's work in their own words, 
Man, I, re I remain silent. I'm not able to talk anymore. Okay. Unfinishable. Unfinishable. I'm changing, not even knowing into what. I would so much like to take you with me, not even knowing where. My hands are shaking, my heart on my sleeve. Or maybe this heart isn't even mine. A long time ago, I stopped waiting to be enlightened. I deceived the sun, I betrayed the light for 30 and a half pieces of silver. I will keep the change. Wow. Thank you very much. Honor. Beautiful, brother. Beautiful. Honored and proud to, to, to read for Rick Spita. Well, Misha, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but I'm going to ask you, do you want to talk about any one of those or explain uh, sort of what the what the impetus was? I, I'm curious about the cannibals piece. I, I'm curious about the blonde girl who ends up having black hair. <laughs> Would you like to say anything about any of your pieces? Well, you know, they say poets shouldn't explain their works, especially poets, authors all in all but especially for, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, I am in such a deep state of emotion. I'm not sure I could express myself in a cursive way. Uh, what can I say? And what I would like to, I'd like to mention is that actually um, the first poem you mentioned, The Cannibals, it has to do with, uh, with our inheritors with the ones coming after us, with the ones which were before us, and uh, a little bit with the idea that, uh, well, I'm sorry, it's it's just, I'm, I'm doing just what I was saying that I, that the poet shouldn't do. <laughs> well, I um, knew it's an unfair question, uh, but uh, you're such a generous man. I thought you might want to annotate it just a little, but that's fine. That's fine. You know, um, the idea is that more or less we are the cannibals of the ones which were before us and the ones following after us are the cannibals which are, which because of which we disappear ourselves. Sorry, and I have already told too much. No, you've, you've mentioned it and, and commented on it intelligently. And the poem speaks so so beautifully and so eloquently, but uh, yeah, there's part of me as a journalist as well as a poet, so I have to ask those silly, difficult questions. Um, I'm going to play next. Go ahead. No, sorry, they are not silly at all. You are a perfect professional, uh, <laughs> and you proved it. Whilst I proved being a very bad professional when talking directly. <laughs> In uh, when talking live in a uh, within a uh, within a radio uh, broad uh, broadcasting. Thank you very much, Rick Spisak. Thank you for your passion for poetry and for uh, opening this door to the poet poetry of the East. Well, let me ask you this, if I may. Um, our our next uh, poet is Andres Budna, if I got the name roughly correct. And we have a couple um, poems of his. Go ahead. Uh, Andres Burma. Okay, thank you. Burma. 
And here we go. We have, uh, I think, uh, a couple poems from his. Here we go. Hello, my name is Andres Burna. I will uh, read you some poems from the poetry collection called Ping Pong, published by uh, Fractalia, Fractalia in 2019. The book is uh, written by Klaus Ankersen Andres Burna. It's in three languages, Romanian, English and Danish. Some uh, poems in uh, Romanian and English. Fearless. 25 mai 2005, Istanbul. Și lumea s-a schimbat în numai câteva minute. Planeta Sudului s-a scufundat. Planeta Nordului a cooptat și mai mulți adepți în acea zi. S-a născut Nava Mama, Steven Gerard, Vladimir Smitzer, Chabi Alonso, Dietmar Haman, Jibril Shize, Jerzy Dudek. Nu toți au rămas în legendă. Pendulele îți arată drumul spre ieșire, mașinistul oprește producția, de la tine știu că Dita Von Tease, de soția lui Marilyn Manson, viața ar fi mult mai tristă într-un fantasy cu tematică istorică. In the English version, Fearless, Ping Pong, Pong, number 10, May 25th, 25th, 5th, 2005, Istanbul, and the world has changed in only, in only a few minutes. The planet of the south sank, the planet of the north co-opted even more supporters during that day, the mothership was born. Steven Gerrard, Vladimir Smitzer, Chabi Alonso, Dietmar Haman, Jibril Chize, Jerzy Dudek. Not everyone turned into a legend. The pendulums show you the way out. The machinist has stopped the manufacturing process. If it's you I've learned from that Dita Von Tees is Marilyn Manson's wife, Life would be much duller in a historical fantasy. Unchanged Waters, Sandro Pena, 13th of August, Ping Pong, 12. Să fie încă tinerețe apanajul meu, mașinistul probează zborul prin mulțime, tot el își încarcă bateriile lângă tânăra vietate, un cap plin de culoare. Wally adastă, nava mamă găsește soluții, se aud departe trenuri, va întârzia cel puțin o oră, avem timp, poți să te vindeci în vârful cetății, curajul se măsoară în pixel, per minut. Sub adierea unui clopot, un strop de pace pe câmp s-a așternut, mașinistul culege flori pentru Wally, nava mamă plânge. Unchained Waters, Sandro Pena, 13th of August, Ping Pong, number 12. Should you still be my attribute, the machinist attempts to fly through the crowd. Is he still charging the batteries next to the young creature with the head full of color? Wally awaits the mothership, finds solutions, trains whizzing in the distance. Wally will be at least an hour late. We have time, you will heal at the top of the citadel. Courage can be measured in pixels per minute beneath the swinging of a bell, a bit of peace has settled on the pastures, the machinist is picking up flowers for Wally. The mothership is crying. See Emily play. Ping pong number 14. Ca toate lucrurile bune pe lumea aceasta, și jocul nostru are un început și un sfârșit. 
Mă prind cu toată puterea de parte stânga a terenului și las rochia verde să atingă pământul cu forța disproporționată. Ce agresiv, ce bine a jucat Emily acest ultim punct. Se gândește prea puțin la consecințe, are de ales între o croazieră pe Mediterană și uneltele din garajul mașinistului. Pe covorul lui Emily stau împrăștiate bucăți din fostul mastodont. Rochia verde îl cunoaște. See Emily play ping pong number 14. Like all good things in the world, our game has a beginning and an end. And an end. With all my strength, I hold on to the left side of the tennis court and I let the green dress touch the ground with disproportionate force. Emily plays so well the last point, so aggressive, she almost does not seem to be thinking of the consequences. She has to choose between a, between a cruise on the Mediterranean and the tools in the machinist's gar- garage. On Emily's carpet lies scattered pieces of what was formerly used to be a mastodon. The green dress knows him. And there we go. That's the first section. And here is Andre's second piece. The second part. Hey you, ping pong number 22, sample post-punk SPP. Mersul trenurilor din nou la modă. Fiecare oraș de pe harta lumii își adaugă noi și noi trendsetteri. Am încercat să descompun vocea ta în elemente atomice. Nu cred că mi-a ieșit. Putind deasupra tavernei, un naufragiu către Efes în noaptea asta, degetele tale sunt cea mai frumoasă scurtătură spre creierul meu. Tastez neîncetat pe WhatsApp sau pe Messenger, dar atenția ta este dezlocuită de o șoaptă foarte apropiată de obrazul meu stâng. Nu am apucat să vorbim despre sunetul zăpezii transmis pe undele radio și nici despre brazii din Deva sau Iași. Părul tău, ca un amfibiu, vorbește despre revelioane în Danemarca, hamster de cor și căsătorii aranjate de familie. Vocea ta sună diferit pe sticlă, la fel cum ar suna vocea Madalinei Manole ca un ring polifonic. Înainte de Cernobâl a fost vulcanul. Înainte de spațiul tridimensional au fost două perechi de gemeni. Înainte de ora de culcare te strâng în brațe. Înainte de plecare adun mănușile de pe podea. Înainte de tine n-a fost decât un hol întunecat. Acum liniște, somn, un sample post-punk ce are grijă de tine. Doar tu și un film de selevitare. Sample post-punk, SPP. Trains timetable fashionably again. Fashionable again. Every city on the world map keeps adding new and new trendsetters. I try to decompose your voice in atomic elements. I don't believe that I have that I have to sit. We drift away above the tavern, tavern, a shipwreck towards Ephesus during the night. Your fingers are the most beautiful shortcut toward my brain. You type zealously on WhatsApp or Messenger, but your attention is displaced by a whisper very close to my left cheek. We didn't get to talk about the sound of the snow transmitted through radio waves, neither about the fur trees from Deva or Yash. Your hair, like an amphibian, talks about New Year's Eve spent in Denmark, hamsters, scenery and arranged marriages. By family, your voice sounds different on TV, the same way Madalina Manole's voice would sound as a polyphonic ringtone. Before Chernobyl, it was the volcano. Before tridimensional space, there were two pair of twins. 
Before bedtime, I hold you in my arms. Before leaving, I collect my gloves from the floor. Before you, it was just a black hole. Now silence, sleep, a post-punk sample which will take good care of you. Just you and the movie about levitation. One of these days, delicate sound of thunder, ping-pong 24, magnetophone Brasso. Am fost un negustor de covoare în piața sfatului din Brașov. Am întreținut atmosfera la un bal de caritate din Kinshasa, Rede Congo. Te-am văzut prin oglinda retrovizoare și am înțeles cum se face o fundă pentru cei mai, cea mai nouă pereche de converși, numărul 41. Proiectez benzi de magnetofon cu vocea ta pe fundal. Distrat, accidentat, reformat. Postavul roșu ca formă de emancipare în Valea Jiului. O pipniță cu mărfuri de contrabandă. O poveste cu marionete redată cu o grijă aproape maternă. Ne-am oprit și am ascultat explicația custodelui de la ultimul etaj. Studenții Institutului de Silvicultură din Brașov au scris cu arbor numele lui Stalin pe muntele Tâmpa. One of these days, delicate sound of thunder, ping-pong, 24, tape recorder, Brasso. I was a carpet merchant in the Sfatului Square in Brașov. I entertained people at a charity ball in Kinshasa, DR Congo. I was you to the rear view mirror and I figured out how to tie the shoelaces into a knot for the newest, newest pair of Converse Side 41. I'm projecting magnetic tapes with your voice hearing it in the background. Absent-minded, injured, reformed. The red cloth as a form of emancipation in the Jiu Valley. A seller with smuggled goods. A puppet story rendered with an almost maternal care. We stopped and we listened to the explanation of the custodian from the first floor. The students of the Institute of Silviculture from Brasov wrote with trees. The name of Tallinn on Tampa Mountain. Tampa Mountain. And the last one, uh, a short, short one, I hope. Okay, just a second. More blues. Ping, plo- ping pong thirty. Hopipola. It's an Icelandic word. Am folosit toate punctele pentru o deschidere semnificativă. Mi-au apretat costumul în asentimentul uriașei eșarfe albe. Amândoi am proiectat aproape spațiul amorf al Craiovei, autoportretului Ițuculescu de la Muzeul de Artă. E prima versiune, needitată Blade Runner 1982, sau poate un cyborg abandonat de părinți în fața orfelinatului, oare cum ar fi modificat pălăria cu borul tendința mea de a sta tolănit pe canapeaua galbenă, 14 ore, un sitcom islandez în care singura actriță este Piorc, dansând pe un lampadat de la Ikea. În timpul aurorei, în timpul aurorei, în timpul aurorei boreale, în noaptea asta, torsul tău caută fluturi deasupra și, mai ales de subtul prelungitorului. Un dirijabil reintră pe trasa optimă în Craiovița, toate taxiurile duc spre grafitiuri ce îți reflectă interiorul. Singurul cuvânt permis aici, Hopipola. More blues, ping pong 30, Hopipola. I've used all angles for a significant break-off shot. 
I've searched my costume in essence with the huge white scarf both of us almost designed, the amorphous space of Craiova, the self-portrait of Suculescu from the Art Museum, is the first unedited version of Blade Runner 1982, or maybe an abandoned cyborg by his parents in front of an orphanage, how a brimmed hat would have modified my tendency to sprawl on the yellow sofa, 14 hours an Icelandic sitcom in which the sole actress is Björk, dancing on a floor lamp from Ikea, during, during the aurora, during the aurora, during the aurora borealis, the night your torso is searching butterflies above and especially beneath the extension cord, an airship re-enters on the right track, in Kravitsa all cabs lead towards graffitis which reflects your inner self, the only allowed word here is hopipola. Thanks a lot guys, see you soon, stay safe and uh, healthy. Lovely work, just lovely work. Do you want to say anything about Andres? Um, it is one of the most expressive and powerful voices of uh, the Romanian contemporary poetry. And uh, what I appreciate very much um, among many, many other things is the thematic variety and the enlargement of the ability, of the capacity of poetry of uh, containing um, different uh, thematics which formally, uh, until him, were not considered as being as belonging to, uh, to poetry. Andre uh, proves that it is possible to make poetry uh, from very interesting, original and unexpected thematics, like a stike is as it like sport or dance or show business or all of those uh, formally um, pragmatical aspects. Uh, I admire him a lot and maybe I would like to say or to add also that he is also a mentor. He is uh, uh, coordinating a literary club uh, when he helps younger poets, even if he's himself is a young poet, he, self, he helps even younger poets to find their way and to become uh, to become real, authentic, excellent poets. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Now, this next poet, uh, I have to admit, in the process of us collecting some work from poets, uh, I was not able to keep the name with this. So if you can tell us the name of the poet afterwards, that's wonderful. If not, I'm sure that when you send this out to the people who supported us and, and sent poetry, we'll find out who this wonderful, mysterious poet is. This one, uh, well, I'm just going to let her tell the story. Barbez, midnight. Gendarmes swing their sticks, wiggle their guns, holstered like cabaret artists in Pigalle. They giggle in a cluster, keeping dry in the glancing rain. No drug dealers here to continue the show with a high, high, high and a low, low, low. No punters to jack up on Rue Barbez, sat in the gutter in a splutter of moonshine. As we leave the metro after a film about time, I understand that time is nothing for those with nowhere to go. The tramp's begging bowl is empty. He holds a puppy dog in his arms for warmth. The gendarmes avoid him. Je suis Charlie, he plaintively cries. His time which he can make nothing of, 
in the black hole of his life. He enters the metro, the bomb scare, running ghosts, it's showtime for spectacular corpses. Okay, and then I think from that same part we have another one. I'd like to read Memory Pillow. It's in memory of our little dog Alfie who died last year, unfortunately. I'm sharing my dreams with wolves hardwired in my memory pillow. In the splenetic nightmare to follow, eaten by wolves that summer of 1465 in a parish street yet reawakened to recall those mouths with those teeth through the slit of a wall. Will they maul me instead? My instinct says no, those grey loping wolves with bloody intent. Starving hordes are rarely an act to follow. Even their howls are monstrous. Never make too much fun of a wolf, especially not a hungry one. Your head on my pillow with those dark lustrous eyes I decide to allow you to share my dreams. No dancing tonight, no merciless shootout, no blood on the barrel of a gun. So I drip feed you my dreams of love, denial and death. And those vile nightmares that tear at my psyche like a half-mangled corpse. The lightning flash in your eyes, my little wolf dog. Together we can make it to the stars. Does the uh, name of that poet um, come to mind, sir? Um, well, I think I know it, but I want to be sure and uh, therefore ask my uh, uh, accuracy, after the accuracy of recognizing voices is not so high. Um, huh. I, can't, I kindly ask for another couple of minutes, maybe let's go with the broadcasting and uh, I want to be sure when I'm going to pronounce the name of uh, the lady. Okay, that sounds fair. And here is one more, I'm going to call him a mysterious Romanian poet and uh, this is, it's just marvelous. Here we go. Didn't even get to resource when the others were already grasping the slope of excess. I come back with consumer poetry with the inflatable head jehug between my ribs with a chaotic dance hands feet hands with a typhoon controlled from caravans and the gas mask the image of the girl with short hair the piece at which we existed from morning till night and afterwards the insistence that found my greedy will stack with my cheeks I'm back with the end of year celebration with the imaginary boy and the masses of people bursting into the banquet hall with Ducham Arnold and his passion, passion for nonconformists with a perforated vest and the ballad found of in his chest pocket. Another just beautiful, eloquent voice. Uh, does this one uh, come to mind, sir? Um, I think it is the same situation. Um, do okay. you have another poem by him? No, but I have one more. I just noticed from the uh, the charming young woman with the British-ish accent. This uh, this is a tribute she's written, obviously, for Mr. Floyd, the uh, black American who was murdered so so I casually. Understand. 
Here we go. I wrote this poem today in memory of George Floyd. I can't breathe as if suffocated by the virus, black waves in my chest, my deflating gut, exploding eyes, the law's on my side. I thrive at the end of the gun. I gain the energy to run to the stars, out into space. It's a race against time. The diva is singing yet. Goodbye, my friends, au revoir. No more nights on the tiles. No more youthful romance, all jazzed up. I leave. I can't breathe. A beautiful piece. Just really, beautiful. a beautiful piece. According to the, um, according to the, to the texts, um, I think, and I uh, apologize if I mistake. I think it is Andrea Apostol. Wow, just, just wonderful. Just absolutely uh, wonderful. Anyway, I, uh, if, please. I was just going to say, I'm going to contribute one of mine at this moment before I go uh, go west, if you will, in our Poets of the East and uh, journey to some friends on the British Isles. Uh, I want to play this short one of mine uh, called uh, Scrubbing Groceries. Looking forward to it. Scrubbing Groceries by Rick Spizak. A new world of shopping's true. We scrub our foods e'en though they're new. No new plate waiting, till food's well scrubbed. Each and every virus is beaten. Drubbed. Not into the house till all in suds. Are dipped. No longer direct to kitchen carried ferret, shipped. A longer path through suds are buried. Cause that virus sure has us all quite worried. Out in the yard, it's scrubbed and cleaned. Till it's earned its entry in the house, after it's dipped and dripped. Through antiseptic screened. Scrubbed twice till all is squeaky clean, that's true. That's what today's covered shoppers do. But before it's packed or in the pan. With gloved hands scrubbed till paint's made thin. Reducing biota on its surface. That covet sure makes us all quite nervous. Till it's clean enough for going in. May these small efforts, saints preserve us. With these new steps in the shopping cycle serve us. We bring it home and then we wipe all. Lest we sunset find and night fall. A scrubbing bowl and cleanser kept close. Until it's cleaned into the house it don't goes. Some we spray and others dunk. We study science or else we sunk. Each item from the bags gets dumped. Each veggie piled into a lump. Handled carefully might carry bugs. Using disinfectant and scrubbing bubbles. And scrub. Scrubbing all till surface shines. I like yours clean indeed, just like mine. The glass and plastic tumble, liquids dipped. But cardboard boxes sprayed with disinfectant strong. Allowing no impure packaging cause it be wrong. But not a morsel touches lips until the sanitation fairies vis tea. We all these varied precautions follow tea is or tis and tea. No noshing, finger foods forbid. Till scrubbed and wiped and carry d. Once groceries are all scrubbed and bugs subdued. We carry it in and it's now becco mess food. They're carried in, with ice cream melted. 
But all those virii, been beaten pelted. A whole new wrinkle in shopping's tedium. Reducing biota on the surface medium. Till all's been scrubbed and put away. Now I'm dropping. I, I had to apologize. My, my robot insisted that she read the last one. Uh, next. <laughs> next, we're going to go to... Um, and thank you very much for uh, reading this within uh, this program, Rick. <laughs> thank you, my brother. Thank you. Uh, next, I want to share Mr. Dominic Windrum, a marvelous poet and educator from the north of England. And uh, let me share his work now. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the amazing Dominic Windrum, yeah. poet, educator, all-around uh, literary bon vivant. Ladies and gentlemen, Dominic Windrum. Dominic, welcome. Oh, hi, Rick. Nice to speak to you again, finally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's always wonderful, my friend, to, to uh, talk to you for a few minutes. Um, you know, I, I've got this new project I'm working on along with the PNN. I'm doing a series I call Eastern Poets. And since oh, I live yeah. way out west of the uh, Appalachian Mountains, I can call anybody uh, east of me east. So there you are in Britain, and that's definitely east of me. So what's, what is new with the amazing Dominic Windrum? How's, how's virtual teaching going? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been um, teaching via Zoom since the summer, and it's been going really well, actually, because I've never used that before. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. And then I was on a Zoom meeting the other night uh, in New York, by New York, um, for the magazine October Hill. Good. Um, and I was uh, I, I composed quite a few um, lockdown theme poems. So one of them was published by the October Hill magazine. It was a good, a good event, actually. Good. Do you uh, do you have time to share that with us, my friend? Yes. Funnily enough, I've got it here. <laughs> well, good. Good. Right. So it's called Quietus Lockdown, uh, July 2020. Nothing much has happened lately, and I'm hosting a myriad solitudes. So I have sunk with the air into a quietus as I watch the sun imbibe the dew that's scattered across the morning grass. I'm becoming decidedly listless and lazy. Summer seems to slow down time in a surreal way. It blurs frozen fact and fiery fiction within the hazy, nonchalant spread of its dreams. Summer is for me the gentle pronouncing of two soft syllables, cushions of air on which I now recline. I watch its drowsy light sprawl among the red campions and the dead nettle. I watch it as it pauses suddenly to meditate upon the season's invariable transience. Um, among the wind-blown remnants of forget-me-nots, I find this bittersweet as love's illustrious angels have long since departed the ruined realms that I now inhabit. I'm briefly soothed by a most refreshing breeze, the murmur, murmur of bees and melodious birdsong. Nature's blithe spirit seems to flow through me like vintage wine. 
Even though it is only a fleeting moment in time, it counters the dark tones of yesterday's discordant music. I cling to it like a child clings to sweet nursery lullabies and visions. I'm uplifted by the green swell of leaves and trees, the golden white glories of daffodils and daisies. Yet I'm aware that the thundial casts a nebbing shadows across my future. I'm plagued by grave doubts. Soon solemn autumn will issue forth colder winds, and I want to be ready to face the world again. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. Yeah, um, it's a, it's interesting uh, being a scholar and an educator in the land of virtual classrooms. Uh, yeah. What what special challenges do you find as an educator when you find yourself uh, seeing your students mediated through all this technology? Obviously, there's pluses and minuses. What are what's kind of what are some of the things that occur to you when you we've we've making our uh, education virtual? Well, actually, I, I tend to see the pluses because, um, see, I'm, I'm not I'm not great with IT, and the students have helped me actually. But what what's happened is I can I like the screen share element. You can you know you can share work over. They can write on they can write on the um, screen, and some of them have taken to it like in a brilliant way. You know, it's it's there's been absolutely no hiccups at all with it. Oh, that's but great. I did think that I did think the audio would go off and the visuals and but you know it, none of that's happened thank goodness. <laughs> well, good, good. Um, what other uh, writings have you found? Uh, obviously, uh, the UK is going through some some of the same COVID challenges that uh, we have over here, but you've got some unique additional challenges as well. Yeah. Um, I know some of you of your writing has addressed some of those challenges. Yes, definitely, yes. I mean, I've took a lot of what I've tended to do because we couldn't go very far is um, the headlands where I live in Hartlepool, uh, a walk along the, the beach. I've done that quite a lot. And I've ended up writing quite a lot of poetry based on that experience. One of the things that... Uh, that I was thinking about with uh, all the stay-at-home orders and and now that's all going to redouble uh, whether the citizenry uses their brains or not is another story. But um, yeah, yeah, we've got the same problems. Yeah. <laughs> I I uh, I was thinking about all these empty streets. Yeah. And it it brought me to a thought, and and I wrote this little piece here. I'm going to share with you, called the Aztec. Okay. The Aztec streets are empty. Yes. They wonder. They window wander these days across those empty streets, betraying their silent whispering now. This great civilization whose empty streets scream their loud silence, grumbles, mumbling her empty streets, exposing their noisy, numbed silence. What great enemy emptied these streets? Whose armories descended with their bursting armaments, emptying the larders clean? What enemy stopped traffic, busted, severed markets from the tiniest part? Life, not life, 
a simple prion so profligate, destroying its host, so like man, this tiny, invisible grain of life, not life. Oh, wonderful. Yes. It's really you know, it, it, was, it made me think about the fact that, you know, when we consider these ancient lost civilizations and how, yeah. how was it that they suddenly all just disappeared? You know, did they head for the hills? Was there some enemy? And I thought, here we are faced by the tiniest foe. You know, there's, there's no tank, there's no bomb, there's no, none of the old conventional arguments against yeah. this foe. And what does it require? Sense, common courtesy, a little yeah. silence, a little meditative solitude. Evidently, that's pretty high a price. Yeah, it's, it's, I think a lot. My take on it is that um, uh, soccer is not so big in your country, is it? Soccer? No. Well, in England, it's the main sport, and you know these people who watch it. I mean, I, I like soccer, but they, they, they watch it constantly on Sky, and that went out. Uh, the shopping went out, and people people don't seem to know what to do without those sources of entertainment. You know, they can't make their own entertainment, seemingly, a lot of people. Uh, it's quite scary, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can just write poetry, or I can, you know, lots of things I can do, go for walks, but it's, some people don't seem to survive without this capitalist kind of structure. You know, what are they if not consumers, right? Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that in a big way, you know, with people. Oh, you know. Why don't you share one of your um, your meditations from walks along the seaside? That might be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll just um, ah, my yeah, I've got it. Yeah. In midwinter, the headland, Hartlepool, December 2019. This is very recent. In midwinter, the headland is a haunted place where spectral longings hover like wounded angels, where soft silence lies as deep as December's snow, where loneliness hangs and lingers like icicles, where nothing happens that has not happened before, where crude grey black sea foam licks a pebbled shore, where feral gulls glide over frosted granite cliffs, where straggled strands of green seaweed cling to rock pools, where encrusted fearful limpets are tightly locked, um, where cracked coloured shells are crammed with whispered secrets, where bitter winds blow and howl like mad long lost souls, where macabre crabs scuttle over old fish bones, where life limps along despite the town's Christmas throng. Where there are no flashing lights or seasonal cheers, only slow echoes of ancient murmurs and moans. Where mundane clouds drift in ever-darkening skies. Where pollution turns pure water to inky blue. Where discarded plastic mocks frayed once golden sands. Where summer's dreams are buried under cold hard stones. Where spectral longings hover like broken angels, where time itself seems frozen, and yet I perceive delicate forms foreshadowing spring's awakening. As little flowers of sumptuous violet, white, and flesh pink 
gently stare insulting with it at Beautiful, brother. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, I I know you have such a wide variety of interests, and I and I always appreciate your your the diversity of your writing. Uh, I and I know you ponder a lot of matters of spirit and uh, of uh, yeah. our social condition. Uh, yes. Would you want to share one other in in an, another vein, sir? Another thing. Let me see. Well, I think I really should do a um, festive one. I think that would lighten the mood. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Ah, the good sense of a poet. How splendid. Go for it, sir. Go this for it. Be, this, I, I'm going to send this to my um, niece and nephew, my younger niece and nephew, um, the night before Christmas, I think. I think they'll be able to understand that they're quite, they're quite quick off the mark. <laughs> right, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the bringer of good tidings. It is when our hearts melt and love consoles. It is the emblem of many splendid things. It resides in yule logs burning slowly on the fireside. It is ancient ritual bursting into modern life. It is the sound of sweet grace in carols and hymns. It is the joy that lies dormant the rest of the year. It delights in brightly colored lights, warming wintry streets. It is the dreamlike sense of pine needles in the air. It flows in silvery tinsel and cards and stars and baubles. It is the mad dash to wrap precious presents. It is the snow white wonder in children's eyes. It is the rich taste of vintage blood red wine. It is the December moon's magical golden glow. It glides with the sleigh of old Saint Nicholas. It rattles like reindeer's hooves on rooftops. It hovers with gentle angels in frozen skies at midnight. It contains the whispered words of divine providence. It is found in miracles unfolding moment by moment. It is the reciting of prayers by soft candlelight. It is the anticipation of the gift of his birth. It is when our hearts melt and love consoles. Very nice, sir. Thank you. Very, very nice. It's uh, it's so good to be reminded of all those wonderful things uh, when we spend so much time in, uh, should we say, cynicism and irony and uh, yeah, social yeah. criticism. It's, it's so important to remember those values and uh, to remember that that uh, that fiery spirit that lights the darkest nights. So, thank yeah. you, my brother. Thank you for that. Good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um. Any final thoughts as you approach the end of the year? I'm, I'm sure it's been an eventful year for you, both the, with and without the, the COVID sphere. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave with our audience? Um, final thoughts. Well, for me, because of the lockdown, it's actually been a very productive and creative time. I've got a lot of poetry written. Um, I've, um, I've done courses, professional courses. I've actually just done one on poetry through Oxford University. Oh, good. Um, I just wanted to sort of um, gen up on some of the forms and the um, structure of poetry. And it was really interesting. And um, final thoughts was I just hope things improve in 2021 considerably. I mean, the new vaccine's out, so maybe maybe there will be a change. Hopefully. I also, I like to... Um, 
say I felt very sorry for the people of obviously America as a whole, but New York, I was dev- I was really upset because that place has influenced me so much over the years. The artists and the poets, writers that have come out of there. Um, I, you know, I was pretty blown away by that, yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us, my brother. Always a, a special pleasure to hear your voice and to hear your wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Well, goodbye. Good, good luck. <laughs> Have a wonderful season, my brother. Bye-bye. You too. You too. Bye-bye. And now, my friends, the last piece of the evening, a, uh, a wonderful reading by a storyteller, a Scottish gentleman who, who's been a resident of Ireland for quite some time. And uh, he tells a, a bedtime story that his granny had told him when he was just a wee little one. Um, any thoughts, uh, Mercier, on uh, what we've heard from, from these wonderful poets? Well, I guess, and I repeat, I apologize if, uh, on the other hand, the signal is uh, worsening and worsening. Uh, uh, so even now, uh, I have big problems in uh, in connecting with you, but during those voices, during those poems, it was a little bit better. Um, I think they are Paula Lavrik and... Uh, and Mihaila Katushu. Um, if I'm wrong, I repeat, I apologize from the very beginning and I will correct this uh, on the net. Okay. Well, well, when we do our next episode next week, uh, we'll have all the names. <laughs> so all the uh, poets who join us will get the full credit for their appearances. Uh, we thank them one and all. Uh, and if you need to go, I understand that the connection's bad, but we're going to play one last piece. We're going to play Rab Fulton telling his bedtime story. I'm looking forward to I would love to hear, sir, some of the poetry yeah. you've been writing recently, some of the stories you've been telling recently, uh, or, or an old favorite of yours, because I, I would be a very irresponsible producer <laughs> to not get some more of that wisdom of Mr. Fulton here to my audience's okay. ears. Um, what am I writing just now? Oh, let me think. What am I? You keep doing this and I keep for because I've always got me things on the go and I'm never quite sure what to do. Do we have a time limit? No. I, I can cut it up. If it becomes two shows, that's fine. That's fine. Why don't I just, I'm just going to tell you one of my stories. I'm just going to tell you a story. There's no morals. No <laughs> nothing. It's just a story. And you can, and you can do what you want with it. It's a, it's a story. Um, I've been thinking about... Um, just... It's a, it's a, one of the things I find interesting just now is memory just now. So I'm doing this project just now in English and Irish and the diverse communities using memories of their family and then creating new folk tales and stuff. And so, but funnily enough, there's a few other folk out here in the west of Ireland doing similar work with reflection and memory as well, really nice stuff. So I've been thinking about my own childhood a lot and my background 
and also my own children as they're growing now, you know, my, my son turned 13 there, and so it's all kind of very interesting. So, but one of the stories that people keep asking me is, where do my stories come from? Uh, you have a jar, right? I have a jar, I do, I shake it, I think it comes out. I don't know. Um, and so what I'll tell you, what I, I was starting to by stories when I was wee and there's a lovely story I like to tell and I have no idea how long it takes because it changes so step back it's why I like to tell when folk ask me at my shows and you know what I've missed my shows I haven't been in front of an audience for a long time and I'm oh it really hurts me just not doing it so I'm going to, you're not going to be an audience I'm going to do my show I'll, I'll do my best to be a good audience you'll be a good audience it's just a short wee story and if you've just heard it before out there, that's fine. You just relax near it again. <laughs> this is a story about when I was wee and I lived in um, a tenement. I told you the story before. About the, the cat. No, please, please. I, do you know what? I can't even remember what I can't even remember telling myself before. I lived in a tenement when I was wee, when I was a wee child, I lived in a tenement, a Glasgow tenement, so you kind of, apartments are on top of each other, and then you had to kind of leave to go outside to the, the communal toilet outside, the kind of the cottage outside, the cottage. And um, so, in our flat then, we had the front room, which was my mother and father's room, it was also, it was a wee alcove there with the kitchen, and then all the children, we all slept in the one room in the back, and then, if you went, this is when I was younger, then you want to go to the toilet, you had to leave and go down the stairs and down the toilet. And sometimes my parents would be away, so my granny, me, Lethem, would come over and look after us. And my granny was a wonderful woman. But she'd raised her own wains, she'd raised her, I think her fame, other sister's wains. She'd raised a lot of wains, a lot of children she'd raised, and she was scuttled with them. She was. She could not care for any more children, so she was she was not a great person. <laughs> she was, you know, she'd worked hard, she'd done hard, she was her own thing. All she wanted to do was to get us all into the one bed, squeeze us in the bed, and then she would sit in the front room, and she'd smoke her cigarettes and drink her whiskey, and she'd read Mills and Boone's romance novels, and that was, that was it. So we'd get all in bed. So unlike nowadays, you know, when you're telling get folk to bed, tell a wee story to kind of relax them, or folk go on their app, listen to their meditation app to relax them, to help them sleep and drift off. My granny's approach was she just didn't want us to get out of the bed. Whether we slept or not, she wasn't caring. What she didn't want was for any of us to wake up in the middle of the night to ask her to take us down to the toilet. Because a long journey and a long journey back. So her approach was to tell us a story that would so traumatise us and fill us with a sense of terror that we would be too frightened to leave the bed to go to the front room to ask to go to the toilet. <laughs> Which is when grannies, oh yeah, Scottish grannies are supposed to do that. They're actually, I think there's actually a, a UN rights thing about Scottish grannies. <laughs> it's recognised as a cultural thing now. But um, so she, I always remember the first story she, she told us. We were all curry doing in bed, and uh, she came in and she said, "Night, night, boys and girls." We all went night, night, granny. And then 
my older sister. She said, Granny, can you tell us a story? <laughs> and the Granny looked at us and she kind of went, you want a story? And my sister said, aye, my mum, my mummy's been reading a lovely story about I own a pussycat and a, a pea green boat. And my Granny looked at us all and she said, do you want a story about a pussycat? And we were all like, oh yeah, a story about a pussycat. And she said, okay. She said, okay, children. Okay, right. <laughs> Relax and I'll tell you a wee story about a pussycat. So you ready for a story about a pussycat, Rick? I am enthusiastically waiting. Just tune into your inner four-year-old. <laughs> I couldn't do this. So we all in there and she says, well, once upon a time, there was a young man and he lived in his wee house. And he worked very hard to get to his work every day. He'd come home and he was, you know, hard working. And he had a wee pussycat. And every day before he went to work, he'd have his porridge, he'd have a shave, and then he'd get a wee bowl and he'd fill it with cream and he'd give it to the wee pussycat. And the wee pussycat would drink all the milk. And he'd be all happy with the milk. And he'd go around his legs going prrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
caught into the legs. She's in the legs, ripping the veins out, blood scooshing everywhere. They're screaming, flailing about, cats ripping and ripping blood everywhere. And they fell down dead as well. Oh, they're landing on the ground. Grand is story. Story. Not finished. <laughs> so the wee cat ran out down the stairs, out into the street. People called the police, the police came. They came around along with their truncheons and all sorts. They tried to corner the wee cat, but the wee cat killed them as well. <laughs> right, every group that was sent out, vigilantes and the police and all sorts, everybody went out to try and get the cat. They almost catch the cat, but the wee cat would leap up and rip out their throats and slaughter them. And soon the whole, the kind of central belt of Scotland was awash, knee deep in blood, and corpses stacked up on top of them. And we're all in there going, oh, come on! The baby was sent, everybody was sent, cow would slaughter them all. And eventually the government decided they had to do something extreme. So they decided to call in the U.S. Marines. So they called in the U.S. Marines. And they arrived with a helicopter and a tank, a couple of nuclear bombs, Donald Trump. And they all arrived. And they called the wee killer pussycat. The wee killer pussycat looked up and the wee killer pussycat realised it could not defeat the US Marines. So it ran away. It ran away and it hid. Where did it hide, Granny? It hid beneath your bed. Oh, 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 you weren't going to go to the toilet because you were feared to put your leg out the bed because the wee cat would be under there and it would sleep up and rip your throat out. <laughs> That's my word of wisdom for the world. Love your Scottish granny. Watch out for cats. <laughs> That's it. That's all I can say. That's it. That's me. <laughs> well, my friends, that's it for tonight's show. Thank you all so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. Please tune in next week. Uh, by the way, don't forget, write down the address of the show. You can come back anytime and listen. Tell your friends. If they didn't hear it tonight, they can hear it tomorrow or next week. Just go to that address and you'll be able to hear it. Thank you so much, Misha. Much appreciated you could come by. And I thank you so much for the rich, rich cultural visits that you have brought us and those marvelous poets. Thank you, my brother. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much for once again for your interest in poetry. And uh, last but not least, thank you for the wonderful guests you invited from, uh, from England and from Scotland. It was quite an experience. <laughs> have a good night, my brother. Thank you so much. Good night.
See you next week. See you next Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.